One of the greatest public servants in the history of England was a man by the name of William Gladstone. William Gladstone served as the Prime Minister of England for 12 years over four separate terms during the late 19th century. One of the reasons that Gladstone was so remarkable was that he was a follower of Jesus Christ. He was a Christian in the highest levels of power in Great Britain, yet because of his faith in Jesus, he also taught Sunday school class. In fact, when he was growing up, he had a desire, he had a plan to become an Anglican clergyman. But because his father was so strong-willed following William's graduation from Oxford, his dad encouraged him to go into politics. So he did, he entered politics and ended up rising to the highest, the heights of politics in Great Britain, the prime minister of England. Well, at the end of his life, While he was giving a speech, he recounted the story of a young man who approached him and asked him for advice, asked him on how he should live his life. I'd like to share a recount of that conversation with you as we begin this morning. Gladstone asked the young man, what do you hope to do when you graduate from college? The young man replied, I hope to attend law school, sir, just as you did. That's a noble goal, said Gladstone. Then what? I hope to practice law and make a good name for myself defending the poor and the outcasts of society just as you did. That's a noble purpose, replied Gladstone. Then what? Well, sir, I hope one day to stand for parliament and become a servant of the people even as you did. That too is a noble hope. What then, asked Gladstone? I would hope to be able to serve in Parliament with great distinction, evidencing integrity and a concern for justice, even as you did. What then, asked Gladstone? I would hope to serve in the government as Prime Minister with the same vigor, dedication, vision, and integrity as you did. And what then, asked Gladstone? I would hope to retire with honors and write my memoirs even as you are presently doing so that others could learn from my mistakes and triumphs. All of that is very noble, said Gladstone. And then what? The young man thought for a moment. Well, sir, I suppose I will then die. That's correct, said Gladstone. And then what? The young man looked puzzled. Well, sir, he answered hesitantly, I've never given that any thought. Looking at the young man sternly and steadily, Gladstone said, young man, you are a fool. Go home and think life through. That's pretty rough. Young man, you are a fool. My guess is that Mr. Gladstone likely got his point across to that young man. I hope he gets his point across to us this morning as well. My friend, what are you living for? This morning, we're going to answer the question, what are you living for? Because the answer to that question determines your purpose 
and your direction in life. And if you don't have a purpose and a direction in life, you're going to find that you're just going to blow around in the wind. Whatever the way the wind blows is the way that you will go just thinking that whatever decision you may may make next may lead to some form of happiness. And as Gladstone suggests, we should likely put some thought into what happens when we die because we are all going to die. There's no philosophy of life that is complete without addressing the question of death and what follows because how we view death influences how we live life and how we live life matters. This morning, we're going to see that the Apostle Paul was very purposeful about the life that he was living. He was very purposeful about his direction in life. Even though, while he is writing the book of Philippians, he is in jail facing a death sentence. In the midst of that adversity, in the midst of the trial, in the midst of all he is going through, Paul has a clear purpose, a clear direction, and a clear destination in his mind. In fact, it's just like any well-run organization. Paul has a personal vision statement, a personal mission statement, and a personal strategy statement. So if you would, take your Bibles and let's open them up to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter one is found on page 951 in the Bible that's in the rack in front of you. Please grab a Bible and follow along. I think it'll be very helpful this morning. And as we go through these verses this morning, I challenge you to be thinking, now maybe you are a unique individual who already has your own personal vision, mission, and strategy statement. But I challenge you this morning, if you do not, to be thinking about a personal vision, mission, and strategy statement. What are you living for? Last week, Paul described his response to his present circumstances. He was experiencing significant trials and hardships. He was in prison for following Jesus Christ. Other Christians were unfairly criticizing him, but Paul came to the realization that his adversity provided him with opportunity. His adversity provided him the opportunity to share the gospel the opportunity to encourage other Christians, the opportunity to reveal his priorities to a watching world. And because of all of that, Paul tells us that he rejoiced. He tells us that he was full of joy. But what about the future? Yes, the gospel was advancing, but Paul was in prison. And he's not only just in prison, he's facing, he's headed towards a trial before Caesar. And he is either going to be found innocent and set free, or is he going to be found guilty and he's going to be executed? The possibility of death for Paul was very, very real. And for you and me, even the mere mere possibility of death can throw us into a tailspin or into a depression. But that's not the case for Paul. As we continue this morning, beginning in verse 18, 
we see the reason that Paul was filled with joy. He had a Christ-centered vision, a Christ-centered mission, and a Christ-centered strategy. And because of this, Paul would not only rejoice in his present circumstances, but he would rejoice in his future, whether that was by living or by dying. First, his vision statement, beginning in the second half of verse 18. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I, am eagerly, expect, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. In spite of the questions about his future, Paul is filled with joy. He writes that he will continue to rejoice. And the reason that he will continue to rejoice is the same reason that he is currently rejoicing. He's currently rejoicing because his adversity, his imprisonment has advanced the gospel and as a result of the advance of the gospel, Jesus is therefore exalted. He will continue to rejoice because Christ will be exalted either through his life or through his death. This is Paul's personal vision statement to exalt Jesus whether by life or by death his personal vision statement to exalt Jesus whether by life or by death remember last week we saw that the adversity the adversity Paul faced revealed his priorities it revealed that his number one priority was Jesus. Paul was more concerned about Jesus's glory than about his own glory. And that priority continues when he thinks about the future. He just wants Jesus exalted no matter what. This word exalted here means to make large or to magnify. It's also related to the Greek word that means magnificent. See, when Jesus is exalted, he's shown to be large. He's shown to be large and magnificent. His magnificence is revealed. His magnificence becomes evident as Paul lives his life for Jesus. Paul eagerly expects and Paul hopes that Jesus will be shown to be large and magnificent by his release or even through his execution. No matter what happens to Paul, his goal, his vision is to make Jesus look good. See, Paul's not concerned about whether he lives or whether he dies. It's not the issue to Paul. All that matters to Paul is exalting Jesus, is making Jesus look good. Look what he writes in verse 19. I know that this, and he talks about his situation. I know that this situation will turn out for my deliverance. I know that if I exalt Jesus, I will be delivered. 
This is actually or literally the word salvation. Now, at first glance, this may seem like Paul thinks that he's going to be set free. I don't think that's the case here. Paul's words here in this verse are verbatim for the words that are in Job 13, 16. Same words. Job, if you'll recall, Job was a man, a righteous man who loved God, who faced many trials and adversities in his life. The adversity for Job was off the charts. Job even had three friends. I don't know how you call them friends, but Job had three friends who supposedly tried to encourage him, but all they really did was tear him down. And in Job chapter 13, Job is on trial before these friends. It's like they're coming at him and they're accusing him of wrongdoing. They're accusing him of sin. And Job responds, all I want is to be delivered. All I want is to be saved from being a hypocrite. I just want to live my life for God. In essence, what Job is saying is he wants to be vindicated for following God. And this is what is happening here for Paul. He just wants to be vindicated. Paul is saying here that as the Philippians, it says they prayed for him, as the spirit of Jesus Christ enabled him, he would be delivered, he would be saved from denying Christ and disgracing the gospel at his trial. He'd ultimately be vindicated by exalting Jesus, whether in life, whether he was freed, or in death, if he was executed. It doesn't matter to Paul what happens. He just wants to be saved, to be vindicated. And he believes that if he exalts Christ in life or in death, that he is going to be delivered. He is going to be saved. He is going to be vindicated. Paul's vision statement is to exalt Jesus in life and in death. What's your vision statement? I see really three opportunities for followers of Jesus Christ for this idea, this concept of a vision statement. You can either choose your vision to be exalting Jesus. You could choose to exalt others. Or you could choose the most common vision statement, exalting yourself. When you come to this text in your life, who do you want to make large and magnificent? Really, who are you seeking to make large and magnificent? Is it yourself? Maybe it's others. Is Jesus the one that you want to make large and magnificent? In the midst of the trials and the hardships of life, in the midst of the adversity of life, are you conscientiously, are you focusing on making Jesus large and magnificent? Do you want to make Jesus look good? It's Paul's vision statement. To exalt Jesus Christ in life or in death. Well, when you have a vision statement, you next have to have a mission statement. And Paul has a mission statement. We're gonna get to that in just a moment. But first, I'd like to give you a quiz. Now, I know some of you just got immediately nervous because you haven't had the opportunity to study for this quiz. 
but that's okay, I promise it's an easy quiz. How would you fill in this blank? What word or what phrase would you use to fill in the blank of the sentence, for me to live is? Oh yeah, really? Okay, good. You've read that verse. But is that really how you'd fill in the blank? Because I think sometimes we get very distracted in life. And sometimes we live our lives and we maybe fill in that blank for me to live is money. Or for me to live is pleasure. Or for me to live is partying. Or for me to live is comfort. Or for me to live is power. Or for me to live is fame. Honestly, think about what your life demonstrates about how you fill in that blank. And yes, you know your Bibles well, so you jumped ahead a bit to see that Paul has a personal mission statement that he shares with us in Philippians 1 verse 21. Look how, what he writes for his mission statement. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is Paul's personal mission statement. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is how Paul exalted Jesus Christ. This is how Paul fulfilled his vision statement. This is how Paul did so much in his life for the cause of Christ. This is how Paul impacted the world for the kingdom of God. There's a pastor by the name of James Montgomery Boyce who is the former pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. He's now passed away. But when Boyce came to this verse, he commented and he said, this is truly the definition of a real Christian. You see, a real Christian understands for her to live means Christ is her life and to die is gain. For her to live means Christ is her life and to die is gain. So let's break this down. First, to live is Christ. These words tell us that Paul was excited about his life, that he was living an adventure with Jesus. Living is Jesus. So many people think about Jesus helping them as they come to death. So many people think of Jesus as saving them into and through death and allowing them to experience eternal life after, which is all true. But so many times we give so little to Jesus about the lives that we are currently living. Jesus is life. Jesus is about the abundant life. He is the secret to abundant life. The secret to full, purposeful, meaningful life is Jesus. Christianity is Christ. Not rules and regulations, but Jesus. Not a cultural religion, but Jesus. Real Christianity is knowing the resurrected and living Jesus personally. It is being loved, cared for, and led by Jesus. In essence, this means that Christ is your life. Amen. 
Look at what Paul writes in Colossians 3, verse 4. He writes, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You may first look at that verse and see that great news that someday you are going to appear with Christ in glory. But look what I have underlined. Who is your life? Christ is your life. My friend, would you say that Christ is your life? that you are living your life for Christ. Not that he's gonna save you just unto death, not that he is going to walk with you through death, but Christ is your life. You see, Paul has this crazy joy, this crazy joy while he is in prison, while he is in prison awaiting trial and possible execution, Paul has crazy joy because Christ is his life and he can write the mission statement for to me to live is Christ. And then we come to the second half of his mission statement. To die is gain. As I said earlier, no philosophy of life is complete without an explanation of death and what follows. And using the logic of this verse, notice how you need to fill in the blank if you provide a substitute answer. If you think to die is money, if you think to live is money, excuse me, then to die is leaving it all behind. If you think to live is pleasure, then to die is to have no fun. If you think to live is power, then to die is to be insignificant. If you think to live is fame, then to die is being alone. But if you think to live is Jesus, then to die is gain. Jesus says here through Paul that living for me means that dying is actually gain. Now, if I asked you what word you would associate with the word death, if you didn't know this verse, my guess is, is that gain would be the last word that would come to your mind. We don't often think of death as gain. We often think of death as a terrible, terrible loss. Sometimes we say to ourselves, well, that person maybe, okay, they've suffered for a really long time, so at least they don't have to experience that suffering anymore. Or a person's lived for a very long time, and we say, well, they've lived a long, long life, so it's okay. But Paul says here, for me to die is gain. Paul, my friends, is anticipating death. Paul is looking forward to death. How? Why? How can it be that Paul says death is gain and he is anticipating it? He is looking forward to death. It's because for Paul, death meant that he would actually be face to face with Jesus. He would be with Jesus. 
He would be with the one he served. He would be with the one he obeyed. He would be with the one he loved. He would be face to face with Jesus. So Paul's able to say, to die is gain. And this word die here in the Greek could actually be translated have died. You see, Paul is not looking forward primarily to the act of death. He's looking forward to the result or the consequence of death, the fact that he is going to be ultimately face-to-face with Jesus. No one looks forward to the act or the method of dying. No one. In fact, for some of us, it brings fear, the, the potential way that we might die, the pain, the hurt of dying. But Paul is not talking about the act or the method here. Paul is saying that if you are a Christian, if you have lived your life following and loving Jesus, if Jesus is your life, the result of death will be amazing, will be wonderful, will actually be glorious. If Jesus is your life, death is gain because just like for Paul, it means more Jesus. And more Jesus means more gain. Now, if you are listening to me this morning, right now, if you are joining us online and you are close to death, if death is right around the corner, or maybe it's a loved one who is close to death, the message that Paul has, the message that Jesus has for you this morning is that death is gain. It's going to be amazing, wonderful, glorious because you are going to have more Jesus face to face. Well, Paul shared his vision statement with us. He shared his mission statement. And now he has a strategy statement that he would like to share with us. His strategy is to engage in fruitful labor. Look at verses 22 through 26. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you, you again, your boasting with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Notice in verse 22, he identifies his strategy, fruitful labor. But he also reveals his dilemma. He's torn between his earthly ministry and being face to face with Jesus. Paul has two great alternatives before him, to be acquitted and continue to serve Jesus or to be found guilty, martyred, executed, and go home to be with Jesus. Look what he says. He says it would be better by far 
to be able to go home to be with Jesus. Better by far. In the Greek, this is a triple comparative. And it could actually and more accurately be translated, which is much more better. Much more better. See it? Triple comparative. It's terrible English, but it is wonderful Greek. Much more better. Paul uses this list of adjectives to describe how much more better it would be to be face-to-face with Jesus. But look at how Paul views death. He views death as a departure. To depart is a military word used to break camp, to pull your tent down and go home. See, death sets the Christian free and takes us home to be with Jesus. Paul is personally torn between living his life for Jesus and dying and returning home to Jesus. But Paul realizes in this writing that this is a hypothetical choice on his part. He does not hold the choice whether to live, continue to live for Jesus or to depart to go home with Jesus. Paul doesn't have that choice. In fact, Caesar doesn't even hold the choice whether Paul lives or dies. Are you following me? Who does hold the choice whether Paul lives or dies? God holds the choice whether Paul lives or dies. God was sovereign and God is sovereign. You see, my friends, your days are numbered. My days are numbered as well. And I don't do the numbering. The government doesn't do the numbering. No other individual does the numbering. God numbers your days and God numbers my days. And this is a wonderful reminder to you and me as we go through life realizing that God himself holds our lives in his hands. Amen. Which leads Paul to declare that he will continue to serve Jesus until God calls him home. Look at verse 22. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor to me. And then look at verse 24. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. In these verses, Paul specifically identifies his strategy. He's going to engage in fruitful labor for as long as possible. He's going to continue to work for the progress and for the joy of the Philippians. Paul is going to keep working for Jesus and for his kingdom. And this is not just any kind of work. Paul describes the work as fruitful. He is going to fruitfully labor. He is going to fruitfully work on behalf of Jesus. This means that he is going to do things that matter, things that have an eternal benefit. Not only an eternal benefit for Paul, but an eternal benefit for the people that he is laboring Four, Paul is engaged in fruitful labor, which means that he is sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
It means that he is encouraging other followers of Jesus Christ. It means that he is encouraging and leading people in the worship of the one true God. It means that he is loving, he is caring for, he is taking care of other people that God brings into his life. Paul, in his context, is engaging in fruitful labor for Jesus and for his kingdom. And the encouragement to you and to me is whatever context that God has placed you in, in the job that he currently has you in, in the school that you are currently attending, in the family that he has placed you in, in the friend group that he has you in, in whatever context he has you in right now, the encouragement is that you engage in fruitful labor for Jesus and for his kingdom, for an eternal benefit. In other words, the instruction is, don't waste your life. Don't waste your life on the things that don't matter. Engage in fruitful labor for the kingdom of God. I'd like to share a story with you. I work here at the church with Jackie. Jackie is our director of communications. And actually, Jackie and I work fairly closely together. This past week, she shared with me a wonderfully delightful experience. Uh, those are her words. A wonderfully, and weirdly, actually, she put in there, weirdly delightful experience. She shared with me a weirdly delightful experience. She explained that a few weeks ago, she took three middle schoolers to the zoo. You see, Jackie not only works here at Calvary Church as the communications director, she also volunteers her time with the middle schools, middle schoolers. She may spend time with your middle schooler. But three weeks ago, she takes three middle school girls to the zoo and engages in a weirdly delightful experience. Hanging out with three middle school girls, checking out the zoo, talking, laughing, probably watching the monkeys. I don't know if they did. I just like the monkey cage. I like watching the monkeys. But engaging in this weirdly delightful experience. And not only does Jackie spend time with these middle schoolers, she also spends time by taking their calls at 1130 at night when they just want to talk. She also takes them out and buys them ridiculously expensive ice cream. And it's interesting to me. Jackie works at a church. That's a nice place to work. But some may think that working at a church gives you all your credits, gives you all you chips with the Lord. Like, I work at a church. I don't really need to engage in anything else. Like, I think I'm good. I think I'm covered. Jackie could probably end work 5, 5.36 and go home and maybe be more interested in resting or engaging in something else that might be considered exciting. But she doesn't. She chooses to not waste her life and engage with middle schoolers. Just so that a middle schooler will be seen, will be known, will be loved. And most importantly, so that middle schooler will know that Jesus loves them. Jackie doesn't want to waste her life. She wants to be involved in fruitful labor. 
Who are you buying ridiculously expensive ice cream for? Do you get what I'm saying? I don't really care whether you buy anybody ice cream. Who are you loving for the sake of Jesus Christ? Who are you engaged with for Jesus Christ? Who are you spending time with? Who are you showing that Jesus loves them? What is the fruitful labor that you are engaged in? Each one of us want to experience joy in this life. Each one of us want to have a settled state of confidence, contentment, and hope. My friends, that can only be provided through Jesus Christ. But the encouragement for us this morning is that we be intentional about partnering with Christ for our joy. And intentional meant for Paul having a Christ-centered vision statement, a Christ-centered mission statement, and a Christ-centered strategy statement. I think most of us could do to be a bit more intentional. So with that, I would like to give you an assignment. Your assignment this week Maybe it's individually, maybe it's with a group of friends, maybe it is with your family. Take some time and spend the time with the Lord, spend the time with Jesus to identify your own personal vision statement, your own personal mission statement, and your own personal strategy. And if you want to experience joy, my encouragement to you would be that those statements be Christ-centered because that is how you will engage in the fight for joy. I'd ask you to take this seriously. Some of you I know may go home this afternoon and jump right on the assignment because you're an overachiever. Other of you, others of you, like me, would probably wait till Saturday night, being a little nervous that the pastor next Sunday morning would ask you if you completed your assignment. So I will probably randomly ask a number of you next week if you have completed your assignments. Let's be more intentional about following Jesus and experiencing his joy. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.